should I care about community? Last week, we started with two reasons that we should care about community. The first reason, remember, was because God cares about community. God is a community God. God is a relational God. Remember, we looked at Genesis where the Godhead spoke to one another and said, let us form man in our image and in our likeness. In that passage, we see a relational God creating us to be relational beings, to have relationship with God. So he made us to have relationship with one another and with him. The greatest command, that, that, or well, I should say the new command that Jesus gave us in John chapter 13, 34, and 35, he said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. The world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. We're going to actually get to that again today, a little later in the message. But God cares about community. That's one of the reasons we need to care. Secondly, we said that community is the only place to develop the character of Christ. That's important to understand that. Because there are a lot of things we do in our spiritual life that can help us grow in knowledge. You know, we, we study the Bible, and that's beautiful, and we need to study the Bible. That's part of walking with Christ. We can study the Bible in settings like this. We're, we're going to study the Bible together today, and we can grow in our knowledge of God. That's good. We can do that all by ourselves in our bedroom, in our quiet time. We can study God's Word, and He can speak to us and encourage us and, and, and do great things. When do we truly begin to, though, develop the character of Christ? Not in the big group and not in isolation, but when we get together with a group of believers, not in a formal way, but in an informal way where we can just interact and share and talk and I can get to know your story and you can get to know my story and we can do life together in a way where opportunities arise to actually minister to each other, care for each other, be there for one another in a crisis or even go through those valleys where maybe we hurt somebody and we have to ask for forgiveness or vice versa, offer forgiveness. Huge, huge. So, God cares about it and it's the only place to develop the character of Christ. This week, I want to build on that and I want to talk about how to get the most out of church. How to get the most out of church. The church is community. So how do we get the most out of that community? Was anybody else taught this silly little thing when you were a kid? My mom, I was talking to her yesterday. I said, Mom, I'm going to tell a funny story on you because she taught me this thing that just messed me up. It just messed me up. But, but, but I've overcome it, and I, I told her I forgave her yesterday. But, but you put your hands together like this. Let's see if anybody else has ever done this. And, and, and you say, oh, this is the church. This is the steeple. Open the doors, and here's the people, right? That's wrong. That's bad. I, don't teach your kids that, okay? It should say, this is the church building, this is the building where the church meets, right? And this is the steeple on top of it. And if you open the doors, here's the church, right? That's what it should be. So forgive your parents if, you, if they taught you wrong. And I forgive you if you taught your kids wrong. The church is people. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he had an assembly of people. There were no church buildings. It was all about his folks. So when I talk about how to get the most out of church, I'm talking about how to get the most out of the family of God, the community of God's 
people. I have a phone that is a very cool phone. It's way cooler than me. I know how to talk to people. I know how to dial numbers. Some, ever, I don't know how many times I've been asked, do you text, Pastor? Uh, no, I don't text. Okay? I quit evolving. I'm done. I don't need any more electronic stuff in my life. Okay? I don't text. Uh, this thing will do all kinds of stuff. If I open it up and look at the menu, it's got just tons of stuff it'll do. And I, I can do like three things with it. We, we were going to the, the, uh, to the beach the other day, uh, Caseville, first time. Beautiful experience. Loved it. But we wanted to know what the weather report was going to be. So here's what I did. Here's what I always do when I need technical support. Here you go, Josh. <laughs> All right? My 13-year-old who never even looks at this thing. It's going to be sunny, Dad. You'll be fine. You know? It's like, the point is, though, I got this thing and it'll do all this great stuff. I don't, I don't get nearly out of it what it offers. And I think it's real easy to fall into that same kind of mentality when it comes to church. I think it's easy to fall into a mentality where we think, okay, Sunday morning, time to go to the service. Time to sing songs. Time to hear a message. Time to go to dinner. And that's church, right? Friends, church is so much more than, than just a, a, a service. I don't want you to, to fall into that trap. I want you to really get today what a great thing it is to be part of God's people. When I was growing up, I never had a pastor just tell me how to get the most out of church. So I'm going to do that today. I'm going to tell you how to do it, okay? And here's the key. This is the only real official point of the message. Everything that I say today is going to be built around this. If you look at your outline, it says right there, the key, fill these blanks in. Here they are. The key to getting the most out of church is to keep it simple and focused on relationships, not religion. Keep it simple and keep it focused on relationships, not on religion. You remember weeks ago when I was going through the Top 20 series and I was talking about these core values that, that have shaped me and, and guide my life? One of them was keep it simple. I believe that more and more and more as I go through life. You know, this world, it's just becoming a more hectic place to live every day. There's just more stuff that just encroaches on our life and tries to crowd in and, and make life more complex. And, and I don't know how many times Kelly and I have looked at each other and say, praise God in heaven, there won't be paperwork. <laughs> you won't have to fill this form out and that form out and this thing and all that stuff to keep track of. You know, it'll be simple. And I, and I, I praise God for that. I don't, I don't, how many times have, have we sat and talked about Little House on the Prairie? Oh, you know, what a beautiful world that was. I mean, you just lived until you died. You didn't, you didn't go through all these problems. And, and church was just, let's go meet with God's people and let's, let's live it out together. And that, that community, now I realize it was different than our community because all of Walnut Grove were Christians. That's wonderful. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? But, but they, they just loved each other and they, they kept it simple. Simple is so good Complexity kills us. Simplicity gives us strength, but complexity just wears us out. I, I remember when I was going through that series on Top 20, I talked about the fact that if you put me in front of a menu board and there's three options, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry, 
No problem. But you put me in front of, and I know they think it's a good thing, but you put me in front of a menu board with 500 different flavors of blends and, and all this stuff that I've never heard of, like, you know, purple raspberry microdot something. <laughs> I don't know. I just, you know, it just paralyzes you. The more, the more there is that just, isn't it easy to just get overwhelmed? And you just kind of get like, I, I don't even know what to do next. I've got another Grandpa Merle story for you. I'm just going to set these here until I need them. Um, <laughs> shared a Grandpa Merle story last week about having our want-to fixed. Uh, this week's is about my Aunt Doris. She was also a tremendous impact on my life. Um, she married into our family, married my Uncle Maury, my mom's brother. He was a pastor. And so there came a time when she was asked to teach a Bible study. Now, she'd been a Christian for a long time, but she just felt overwhelmed by that, that request. She thought, I don't know how. I don't know if I'm, I'm prepared enough. I don't know if I know enough about the Bible to teach. And so she went to Grandpa Merle, and she asked him for help. And as he always did... See, I told you, I talk about him like I knew him, just because I've heard so many stories about him. But he said, Doris, he said, you don't have to be an expert on the whole Bible. You just need to learn that lesson. You just need to know that lesson. Study that one passage and that one lesson and be an expert to the best of your ability on that passage this week. And if anybody asks you any questions that you don't know the answer to, you just say, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll study it this week and I'll find it for you. And you see what he did? He took this overwhelming thing of, I gotta know the Bible. And he boiled it down to six verses. He said, no, just know this. And all of a sudden, she felt, I can do that. I can do that. And she started to teach that way. And every week she filled up on that one passage or that one lesson. And after about 20 years of teaching like that, she knows the Bible pretty well. Simplicity brings it down on a level where we can wrap around it and get it. Albert Einstein said this. He said, when the solution is simple, God is answering. I love that. Albert wasn't a Christian. He was a Jew. But he was a believer in the sense that he believed in the God who created the world. He was a believer in the Old Testament. He knew that there was a God and that he had created the world. And even with his amazing mind for science and physics, he looked at creation and he saw order and he saw simplicity. And he said, you know what? If God's fingerprint is on it, it's going to be simple and it's going to be orderly. God is not in the business of making things hard. God is in the business of making things simple. Do you know how easy it would be for God to overwhelm you? He wouldn't even have to snap his fingers. I mean, most of us are living kind of on the edge of being overwhelmed at any moment a lot of times in life anyway, aren't we? You know, if one more thing happens today, I'm just going to die right here. <laughs> and have you ever been there? You know? Or I'm going to smack somebody or something, right? Maybe the Holy Spirit hopefully will keep that from happening. But, uh, you know, we've all, we've all been there. It's not hard to be on the edge of being overwhelmed. God is in the business of taking insurmountable, overwhelming tasks and making them simple and helping us with them. How would you how would you summarize the Bible in two sentences? Think about that. You've got the you've got the book of Genesis with the creation account and God speaks everything into existence and he forms man and they begin to have relationship and then they disobey God and there's the fall 
And that brings all this brokenness and death into the world, which leads to a point where God just says, I can't take it anymore. And we bring the flood. But he sees one righteous man, Noah, and says, through you, your, your, your family will be, or the, you know, humanity will be preserved through the ark, and I'll send these animals to you. And then his, his family repopulates the earth, and you have the, the patriarchs with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and then that leads to Joseph and this famine, and we go to Egypt, and there's bondage for 400 years, and then Moses is lifted up, and there's the exodus so after all these plagues, and this great nation of 3 million people go out into the wilderness, and they're in the wilderness for 40 years, and in that time they receive the law of God, and then they... There's the conquest and Joshua leads that and they, they go to battle and they, they conquer the, or most of anyway, the, the promised land and then they have the rise of judges and kings and all this up and down and prophets and 400 years of silence and the ministry of John the Baptist and then Christ comes into the world and he does his ministry and the death, burial and resurrection and then the, the, the book of Acts and the, the history of the church and the Holy Spirit coming and the missionary journeys of the apostles and the book of Revelation. How do you summarize that in two sentences? Jesus was actually asked that question. I don't know if you know that. It wasn't worded, will you please summarize? It was, what's the greatest command? And when you, when you dig into that, what they were doing is they wanted to summarize. What's the biggest thing? How do we summarize? How do we boil it all down, Jesus? Because they figured if we can get that one command, if we can boil it all down to one, then we can keep that one at least. And that'll keep us on track. So they, so they asked Jesus at one point, what is the greatest command? And we all know what he said, right? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. He gives them more than they asked for. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two commands. He essentially said, you can summarize the whole Bible in these two commands. Love God, love people. How awesome is that? Now, he didn't have the New Testament, but I'm pretty sure if he had, it wouldn't have changed this. Because the New Testament just expounds on that great command about loving God and loving people. Love God and love people. Keep it simple and focused on relationships. Do you want to be a blessing to people in your life? When you walk into a room, do you want people to say, oh, I'm so glad that person's here today? Because have you ever been in a, in a, in a meeting and when somebody walks in, your heart just gets a little happier because they're positive and they're upbeat and they encourage you? Yeah. Do you want to be one of those persons? Friends, when Jesus walked into town, everybody got excited. Everybody was thrilled except for the religious people. But the masses loved him. Oh, Jesus is here. We got to go down, down the street. He's here. This is awesome. When Jesus walked into a room, people just got excited. You want your life to be full and rich like Christ's was? Then, friends, keep it simple. And keep it focused on relationships. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Love God and love people. This is exactly why I do everything that I can to communicate spiritual growth in the simplest terms possible. That's why on the bulletin every week it says surrender, connect, engage. Because there, you could talk about all three of those for a long time, but um, spiritual growth comes down to a surrender of your heart to Jesus Christ. 
He is Lord. He's my king. Everything I do and say each day, I want to do in a way that will honor him. I trust him. He is my savior. And I live each day that way. If you've never taken that step today and made Jesus your Savior, I encourage you, you're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to come and do that. Surrender your life to Jesus. After that, connect. This is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Be intentional about not just being in that isolated, quiet time with God or in big group meetings like this, which are very important, but be intentional about finding your way into a smaller group of people where you can do life together. And experience that, that, that comfort and that support. You know, I was talking about my phone a second ago and all the potential things that it can do. Do you know how much encouragement potentially is in this room right now? How much potential there is for us to encourage each other? Do you know how much wisdom there is collectively in this room? How many experiences there are with God? How many testimonies there are about times when God blessed me, helped me, saw me through this time? Uh, this scripture that God used in my life, how many stories there are like that in this room. Amazing. Connect with brothers and sisters and give one another an opportunity to share that with each other. This isn't always the best setting for that, but those are great places for that. Surrender, connect, and engage. I've always noticed this. When I was doing small groups in Altoona, Kelly and I had this conversation some groups were really just dynamic and, and people were ministering to each other and it was awesome. Some groups were kind of more just formal and there was a lesson and they, they talked and they answered the questions about the lesson, but they didn't really seem to pour into one another and minister to each other and, and do life together on that level that we're shooting for. And what we discovered was that the groups that really and truly ministered to each other and experienced this thing that we're encouraging this morning they were, the groups that were really experiencing life like that were comprised of people who were engaged with God personally. When you got a group of 12 people together who through the week were seeking God and, and you know, asking God to work in their life and they loved him and they were, they were walking with him and they were saying, God, what's my next step? Where do you want to work in my life? Because that's what engage is all about. Lord, what is my next step? Where do you need me to grow? When those kind of people come together in a small group, oh, thing, Katie, bar the door. Ministry starts to happen. So it all comes down to individuals coming together and intentionally seeking God and loving each other. It's awesome stuff. Jesus, though, had a wonderful ability to take all the big, massive, theological statements of God's word and boil it down to love God, love people. He kept it simple. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day were just the opposite. They were just the opposite. They took the simple and they made it complex. God gave the law and they added tons more rules to it. Here was their thinking, okay? And this is, this is just a, a great example of what a religious mindset is all about. The religious leaders of the day said, okay, and I'm just going to make up something hypothetical here, okay? If I, if I step here, I fall off the cliff. That's not good. I, 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 break, I break the command and something bad happens. So I can't go past this line. This is God's command. So instead of just holding on to the command of God, I'm going to say uh, not only should I not disobey that command, but I shouldn't do this either. And I shouldn't do this either. They called them hedges. Hedges that would, uh, so they'd say if you don't do this, you'll never do this. 
And if you don't do this, you'll never do this, and so you'll never fall off the cliff. The problem is, they started making all their rules just as important as the Word of God. And all of a sudden, they started piling people up with all this stuff. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 46. He's speaking to the religious leaders, and he says, What sorrow uh, also awaits you experts in religious law. For you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. So you sit in your chair of authority, and you dump all this, these dictates on people, and you don't do anything to offer grace or help. Jesus says, oh, woe to you. It is not going to be good. And when he says burden there, he's not just talking about a physical burden. He's talking about life and emotion and, and grace, being a blessing to people. The religious leaders lost sight of mercy. They lost sight of grace. They lost sight that even under the old covenant, God was looking for people who had given their heart to him, people who wanted to re have a relationship with him. David is a beautiful example of that. King David, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know his story. King of Israel, slayed Goliath, you know, David and Goliath, all that. An amazing man. He's known in Scripture as a man after God's own heart. What a tremendous thing to have said about you. God himself said that. He's a man after my own heart. Was he perfect? Oh, no. I mean, all of us instantly think David and Bathsheba, right? And his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And he even had her husband killed. He set him up in battle. He said, okay, put, this, put her husband on the front line. And as soon as the enemy comes, everybody back away. Just set him up to die. Horrible. You know what made David a man after God's own heart? Not perfect performance. But a heart that recognized who God was. And a heart that when he was confronted with his sin broke and repented and turned back to God. Friends, I don't know if I've lived a perfect day ever, but every moment that I become aware that I've transgressed, I've hurt somebody, I've let somebody down, I've, I've done something that wasn't pleasing to God and the Holy Spirit pricks me, I strive to be a person who is quick to say, I'm sorry, I repent of that, and I turn back to you, God. That's what he wants. That's why David is called a man after God's own heart. Because he had a heart that was tender for God. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, this is exactly what Paul is calling us to have. Listen to this. This is good stuff. He says, Brothers, if someone is or caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Let's pause right there. First off, Paul doesn't say if someone, you hear about somebody doing something they shouldn't do. He says if they're caught, you know, so this is, this is, this is not hearsay, this, is, this actually happened. And then he says you who are spiritual. That is, those of you who think that you're, you're spiritually mature. I'm, I'm grown up in Christ. I've been in church forever, man. I am a godly person. So Paul says, okay, those of you who, who consider yourself to be that, restore this person. Don't beat them up. Don't point fingers. Don't say, oh, here's the six things you shouldn't have done. No, 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 no. Have you ever been the person that screwed up? How do you feel? Do you walk into church with your head high? 
Do you feel good? No. I'm talking about a brother here. We're not talking about somebody that doesn't know Christ. You already feel bad, don't you? You should. So you walk into church and you're broken? The religious spirit always has their list of the five things that you shouldn't do and you shouldn't dress like that and you shouldn't go to that place and you shouldn't use those words and you shouldn't hang out with those people and, and, and this is their favorite tool. Right? Paul here is saying, don't do that. If you consider yourself spiritual, make the goal of your life to restore this person. Restore them and do it gently. Do it gently. In other words, how does Christ treat you when you fall down? Does Christ come to you and say, you loser? I pray not. No, gently, effectively, cons consistently, persuasively, lovingly, the Holy Spirit tugs on our heart, convicts us of sin, and says, the door's always open, come home, right? And that's what Paul's calling us to do here. Be gentle, be loving, restore, make restoration the goal of your life. But then he adds this. He says, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. I.e., he adds the tag. Keep a humble attitude through the whole process. Understand that but for the grace of God, that could be you. So don't walk in there with a, a cocky attitude. And then he says, he, listen to this. Carry one another's burdens. This, is, this, is the, this word burden is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, you religious leaders, you dump all this stuff on people and you don't do anything to help them with their burden." You don't put your arm around them. You don't encourage them. You don't remind them of grace. You don't remind them of the goodness of God. Paul says, do that. Carry each other's burdens. Be there. Support each other. Love one another as Christ loves you. And then he says, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That is John 13, 34, and 35. Throughout the history of the church, the law of Christ was known as, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. The world will know you're my disciples if you love each other. So Paul says, when you reach out and you keep it simple, love God, love people, and you stay focused on relationships and you restore each other and you carry each other's burdens and you're gentle and you're humble of heart knowing that but for the grace of God it could be you, in that way you fulfill the law of Christ. And Jesus said, when people see that kind of activity, they'll know you're my disciples. That's powerful. I want to close by sharing with you about a friend of mine named Dick Barr. You don't know Dick, but when that slide just went up, my wife just went, mm. Dick's a good man. Dick's with Jesus now. He, he actually died of cancer a couple of years ago. I love this man. He was our first landlord when we moved to Altoona and started our ministry in uh, as a, as a youth pastor, he was a simple man. And by simple, I mean that as a compliment. Because he didn't make it all complex. He kept it focused on loving God, loving people, relationships. I think two words really describe Dick. Lost and saved. Before Dick knew Jesus, he's a big guy. And Dick would go buy a 12-pack, drink the whole thing, and walk into the bar and just look for somebody to look at him wrong. You ever known somebody like that? He just wanted to open that can, you know? It's just who he was. But when Dick got saved, he got saved. He got converted. 
He did the 180, man. All, he was, it was like Paul. It was like all the zeal that Paul was pouring into persecuting the church, he poured into spreading the gospel. All of the loud, obnoxious, crazy brassness of, of Dick Barr when it got saved turned into a beacon of light and hope for Jesus. He was just, I, 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 he, he, he got grace. He got what it meant. He, he, he lived Galatians 6. He was all about restoring and loving and encouraging and reminding people. You know how Dick Barr witnessed to people? He never pulled these out. He never pointed at people and said, oh, you shouldn't. He'd been there. He'd been there and done that. And he knew that what converted him wasn't this. What converted him was people who lived like Jesus. People who came into his world. This is why the masses love Jesus. Read the Gospels. Jesus didn't go around talking to people, oh, you shouldn't do that, oh, you shouldn't do that. Matter of fact, the Pharisees freaked out because he hung out with tax collectors and drunkards and sinners and, and, he, and he actually loved them. Imagine that. The religious leaders couldn't handle it. But so, so Dick was like that. He'd walk into people's lives and he just loved God openly and passionately in front of them. He didn't tell them what was wrong with them. He just said, hey guys, before we, before we eat here, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna thank God for this food, okay? He didn't tell them they should, he just did you know, he'd put his arm around him and say, hey, I love you, brother. Why don't you come to church with me? You know, or whatever. He was just open and loved God in front of people. He had three mottos in his life. Number one was, Jesus is Lord. He said that 150 times a day. You might be in the grocery store. And you always knew when Dick was in the grocery store. Because if he saw you at the end of the aisle, he'd say, hey, brother, Jesus is Lord. He knew Dick, oh, Dick's getting bread, you know. And he lived it, man. He, he knew it and he loved it and he lived it and he just shared it. Number two, keep the main thing the main thing. He, uh, he, he just wanted it to be simple. He just said, you know, you get in a debate or talk or people get in all this spiritual stuff. He'd say, guys, I just, I just know Jesus is Lord. Keep the main thing the main thing. Love God, love people. And he just kept it there. And then he always said this. Be a friend, make a friend, share Christ with your friend. Dick didn't wait on you to be his friend. A lot of times people say, I don't have any friends. It's because they haven't been a friend. Be a friend. He didn't wait on people to reach out to him. He'd just go love on you. How can I help you? What can I, what can I do for you? Let's do something together. And he'd, he'd develop that friendship intentionally, and then he'd share Christ. And he'd only use words if he had to. Because he just lived out his love for God. He was a mechanic. He had his own business. He had some employees. Pretty successful guy in terms of business. But he wanted his friends to know, his, his employees to know Jesus. He said, hey, if you're going to work here at Bars Auto Electric, we're going to have a Bible study. We're going to have a Bible study on Wednesday mornings. And so his mechanics started coming. And his mechanics got saved. And they studied the Bible together. And all of a sudden, other people started hearing about this Bible study, and it got to have a name called The Lighthouse. And other people wanted to be part of it, all men. And today, if you were to go to, to uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania on a Saturday morning at 7 o'clock, you'd find this large room about the size of our sanctuary that they had built, and you'd find 125 or 30 men from every denomination you can name all there on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock to worship and praise Jesus and all they want to lift up every week is Jesus is Lord. 
Doesn't matter if you go to the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, whatever. Jesus is Lord. He's my Savior. Keep the main thing the main thing. It is beautiful. You know what, guys? I want to be like Dick Barr when I grow up. I do. I mean, I'm not going to start the lighthouse and that. You know, I'm not saying do what he did. I want to have that, that love for people. I want to have that simple outlook. I, I, I want to, you know, we talk about simple, but the hard part about that lifestyle isn't getting it up here. It's surrendering to it here. It's saying no to my flesh. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. That's where it starts. So listen, if today you amened when I said, I want to be like Dick Barr, don't you? Here's how you do it. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Stay focused on relationships. Your relationship with God and your relationship with people. Love God. Love people. Surrender. Connect. And engage. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you so much for your amazing love that breaks through our barriers. I thank you for your amazing love that never ceased to pursue us through history. You sent your prophets. You sent your teachers. You've, you've always sent people to be a voice for you. There's always been uh, an, a cry in the wilderness, come, the kingdom of God is near. God wants to restore. God wants to refresh. You've always pursued us like that. I thank you for today's message. <laughs> I know sometimes even though my mouth's the one that delivers it, I'm amazed by some of the things that come out. You are so good. God, I just pray that today we've been reminded of what a great God you are, how simple it is in terms of what you really call us to do, and that today we've been challenged to refresh and renew our commitment to that. If there's anyone today, they need to come, and they need to pray. They need to say, God, help me to make it simple. Help me to re recommit to that, to loving God and loving people. Or anyone who says, I need to surrender today. I haven't surrendered. I want to surrender, or I want to connect. I want to engage. May we take advantage of this time to come and pray and uh, use the altar in that way, God. We love you so much. In Christ's name we pray, amen.